This is a CBC Podcast. Do you remember the first workout or or fitness class you ever did? If we're talking fitness specific, it was Billy Blank's Tybo in grade eight. Hey, I'm Claire Bonnieman, and this is Edmonton. Maybe you started 2024 with a resolution or some kind of goal. Maybe so far you kept it. Or maybe, like me, you probably didn't. According to a Forbes survey, almost half of people say that improving fitness is a top priority this year, over money or even mental health. The good news, I think, is that only a third of people specified weight loss and diet as their goal. It's a shift that I've noticed and appreciated in my own life, and now it feels like it's a lot more widespread. This idea of creating some space between that heyday of The Biggest Loser or My 600-Pound Life, all the shows I used to binge on TLC while growing up, and putting a much bigger emphasis on feeling and movement and not aesthetics. It's showing up in medicine too. Doctors and therapists are looking at our body's needs and the impact exercise can have internally. In Edmonton, the U of A is home to a Canada research chair in physical activity and cancer. Are you a fitness guy yourself? Yes, I have to be, of (laughs) course. It's impossible for me to tell cancer patients who are sick on chemotherapy and radiation therapy they should be exercising. And and me, I don't have any health issues, so (laughs) uh, that, that keeps me motivated. Kerry Coignier is a professor. He directs the Behavioral Medicine Lab and Fitness Center at the Cancer Rehabilitation Clinic at the U of A. It's part of the Alberta Cancer Exercise Study, a program for patients and survivors that evaluates the benefits of exercise after diagnosis. No, exercise adherence and motivation is a challenge for any uh, person, uh, any Canadian. And then when you tack on a chronic disease like cancer and difficult treatments, the motivation and adherence becomes even more challenging. And this is why some of this research showing these unique, important benefits for cancer patients can be really important because exercising just to improve your fitness or your strength may not uh, really be motivating for cancer patients when they're dealing with these treatments. But once they learn about the role of exercise in helping them get through those treatments, managing the side effects of those treatments, and potentially lowering the risk of the cancer coming back, now they're quite interested in in a, a potential exercise program. It looks like a hotel gym, although better equipped. There are resistance training machines, a cable system. Patients can make use of a treadmill, exercise bike, ellipticals, you name it. And when Carrie began this work in the early 90s, exercise just wasn't thought of as this kind of treatment. At that time, it was an area really where there was no research at all. It was exercise was studied for its role, whether it might reduce the risk, but not really. Once you were diagnosed with cancer, we sort of turned you over to biomedical people and you went through all the different treatments. But at that stage, exercise and lifestyle were not thought to be very important. So it was all very much... You know, rest and take it easy was the best way to get through these types of treatments. And we don't want to put our patients at risk. So that's kind of where we started. What did you find? Does it have an impact on all of those things? Yeah, absolutely. So we started our research program back then, and there's thousands of studies now. So it's really a field that's taken off because cancer, of course, is a very common disease. And we found a lot of incredibly important findings, not just improvements in the standard outcomes we'd expect for everybody, you know, improvements in aerobic fitness and muscular strength, but really uh, improvements in in more cancer-specific 
outcomes, outcomes that are important to patients with cancer, in particular, managing some of the side effects and symptoms. So a lot of patients complain about debilitating fatigue. And it's counterintuitive. You would think that rest and take it easy is the best way to manage fatigue when you're going through these treatments. But we've shown and others have shown in these uh, exercise studies that it's the patients who exercise during these treatments that report less fatigue than the patients who sort of took it easy. So we've done a lot of these studies looking at exercise and the risk of recurrence, showing that patients who exercise more both during treatments and even well after the treatments have a lower risk of the cancer coming back and a lower risk of dying from the cancer. What kind of workouts are we talking about here? What are people starting to do? We do try and personalize it for the patient. So, um, you know, depending on their type of cancer and what treatments they're going through and especially the side effects that they're experiencing. And then, of course, their previous experience with exercise. There's a lot of people diagnosed with cancer who were very active. In fact, marathon runners and triathletes get diagnosed with cancer. But we also have a group that were sedentary before being diagnosed. And it doesn't seem to them like a obvious time to be starting an exercise program, you know, when you're newly diagnosed. And sometimes it's just as simple as walking and even walking for five minutes, getting them up and moving at a level that they're comfortable with. That puts a little stress on the system. We want to push them a little bit, but something that they feel capable of doing. And then we try and progress that. So we try and get these patients up and moving, uh, walking programs, but eventually um, many of these patients are capable of doing fairly intense workouts. We've got patients who are running and doing ellipticals. And then the other fantastic exercise for these patients are the weight training programs, you know, the resistance training and strength exercise, because uh, there can be some muscle wasting involved. There can be loss of lean body mass when you go through these difficult treatments. So patients really benefit some for some of these strength training programs. Programs like this and spaces like the CRC are on the official end of the spectrum. But there is a larger movement for the rest of us that calls for feeling good in your body as it is right now and using it. Less about no pain, no gain and more about just taking care of yourself. So as you're lying here, start to notice the back of your body that's making contact. Andrea Yassishin is a dancer, fitness instructor and registered massage therapist in Edmonton. She created Antidote Movement Club, a series of classes that tries to empower attendees and make them feel capable of movement and joy while exercising. Do you remember the first workout or or fitness class you ever did? If we're talking fitness specific, it was Billy Blank's Tybo in grade eight, obviously. It was just something that was really fun, like workout craze. And it was like kind of hilarious. This very muscular man and backup workout people in tight, shiny spandex. And like, I think it was our version of the Jane Fonda aerobics. How different is that from the fitness and the workouts that you do now? (laughs) Like night and day. You can also wiggle around here. This might be the first time you've lied on the floor today or this week. Antidote Movement Club is a little bit of everything, but it is a place where people can come together and do movement. So that doesn't mean yoga or Pilates or dance specifically. It means we're moving our body together. So everyone's here for each other, with each other, doing things that make them feel good to really good music, and then having me to support that process. 
It was what I wanted for myself, and I'm lucky that people actually wanted it too. <laughs> so as you're lying here, start to I started taking belly dance classes because hello, Shakira came out when I was 16, and I was like, whoa. So I started taking belly dance classes and ended up studying Egyptian dance for many, many years and became an instructor. And then I became a registered massage therapist, and I was like, hmm, I'm treating the same things on my table all the time. Why don't I take this lifetime of movement experience, my knowledge as a massage therapist, because we do remedial exercise as part of our training, and let me start teaching people classes that will alleviate these issues that I keep trying to help them with in the clinic. You actually like exercise. I like movement. <laughs> Talk to me about that difference. <laughs> In my brain, exercise is often something that's more prescriptive or we're doing for an end result, whether it's aesthetic, whether it's a number on a scale, whether it's a pant size, that kind of thing. I like the concept of let's move our body so it feels good and we are reducing pain or we're finding more joy or we're finding more space in who we are and how we move. Um, and also maybe while we're doing that, addressing like big feelings that we sometimes have about who we are and how we move and what we look look like. Um, exercise is one component of movement. I absolutely have big feelings about movement. I did martial arts for more than a decade and I taught classes, I competed, and I pushed myself super hard when I was a teenager. It was all a little easier then, right? Maybe it didn't feel like it, but once you're an adult, work and demands are so much bigger and life looks a lot different. Maybe you even look a little different, too. In Edmonton, the average commute time is 24 minutes, so roughly 48 minutes of your day are spent getting to and from work. The majority of households in Edmonton are two or more people private households, and statistics suggest that the majority of these are dual-income households. So juggling two careers, two completely different schedules, and 30% of common-law pairs have kids, too. So add in daycare or school pickup extracurriculars, and generally just entertaining small children. Activity is completely different. And while there are certainly times when you can go hard and push yourself, Antidote Movement Club is about enjoying that movement, even before the endorphins and relief kick in. Andrea adjusted me a lot throughout the class because I kept hyperextending my elbows. She told me not to push so hard and to relax my arms. It's a lesson in not always overextending ourselves. You don't have to push through pain to make movement worth it. It's not always supposed to feel hard. For Andrea, that learning came after a diagnosis. So it was always just like, oh, my family are so noodly, right? Like, we literally had no idea. Like, why is my grandmother in her 70s sitting cross-legged on the floor with no issues? I want to say it was like 2015, 16, I went to see a chiropractor and he was like, have you ever heard of Ehlers-Danlos? And I was like, no. And so he writes it down for me and he's like, can I, can I feel the skin on your arm? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so you have like this velvety skin. We did some joint tests where you like pull your fingers back and all that kind of stuff. We had kind of talked about it in massage school, but not the actual term of it. And then there's some self-assessments you can do. All of mine were off the chart. So are my mom's. 
And so I was like, hey, this gives me a better idea of what we're dealing with here and how to protect myself in movement classes and, and what movement my body needs. So what are you dealing with? You're a person who runs a fitness class with a hyperconnectivity issue, you know, your yeah. tissue thing. Like, So um, I have to be really, really really careful with things like specifically my ankles I have sprained them so many times like I will just fall over on them just kind of knowing my limit sticking within it I will have more than delayed onset muscle soreness after I work out it feels like full body inflammation if I push it too hard if I stretch too much like remember when hot yoga was all the rage so I go to these classes and my instructors would be like oh you're bendy. And so I'd be like doing these, I don't even know what they're called, wildflower, the paradise thing where your leg is up and you're like binding it and everything. And I'd be like, pling. (laughs) No problems whatsoever, straight up. Not really. They're like, oh, amazing. I love teaching you. But I was in a warmed room and then my body would just scream at me. With being hypermobile, you will have extreme laxity, but then you will have other parts of your body that are very tight trying to hold on for dear life. So it's a fun little balancing game of being like, how much can I do? How much can I push? Where do I have to rest here? Um, And every day is a different wild adventure, which you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Was it hard to, to come to terms with those limits for yourself? A little bit. But when you start feeling better because you're respecting those limits, it doesn't even matter anymore. I was in two car accidents very close together, and I was rear-ended in both of them, and that really shrunk my world. So it was a time where I was like, okay, so I, I can't go to dance class anymore, and I'm not as motivated to teach because I'm in pain when I'm teaching. Um, so there's been darker times in my life where that pain has just... Forced a, forced a separation from it. And it, it always is an uphill battle to get back in there, but it's always so worth it for me. I just long for like joyful movement that allows me to move for as, like, as much of my life as possible. We have so many more terms now for the ways that our bodies move and work. But it also means that there's so many more folks that are realizing they have these chronic illnesses, chronic pain. How do you have that conversation as a fitness instructor? Um, I really pull it back all the way to the center of the nucleus, which is what is your nervous system doing? What does your nervous system need? So this is where like my training as a massage therapist really comes in handy because it really doesn't matter what you're doing. If you haven't deregulated nervous system, it's not going to feel good. It's not going to be a good time, right? I want people to feel like I've already got them and I'm going to get them and I'm going to meet them where they're at when they walk through the door and do everything in my power to never make them feel like stupid or embarrassed or dumb about anything. And I would love to offer that to you. So you feel like you're part of the club because you are, you are the club. (laughs) I think that speaks so much to that idea of pulling away the visuals, right? When we think of health, when we think of fitness, it's, oh, a bigger butt. Oh, I'm going to, you know, trim my waist in. How hard can it be to to help people pull that visual and that noise away from the movement? It's very difficult. Um, That is an independent journey that people have to go on. I am on it every day of my life. Um, Obviously, doing this work helps me to do it. Um, A lot of the spaces I, I work in do not have mirrors, that makes a huge difference for people or they have mirrors that I can cover or I can reorient the class. So instead of worrying about like, Oh, my bum looks like this or, Oh, I looked stupid doing this. There's that just goes away. 
and you can close your eyes or I can change the lighting or you can I've told people like in like more dancey kind of classes I'm like if you want to face the wall please face the wall go where you need to go and that makes a big difference for them when the music gets more exciting it means Do you see this this changing, this idea of what fitness and wellness actually means? Or is this a response to things not changing? <laughs> yes and no. Um, we're seeing a wide variety of bodies in um, like yoga apparel and, and that kind of workout stuff. We're seeing different sized and ability athletes um, in mainstream media. But the thing is, is like, is it just for show? Is it just to sell more yoga pants? Like, you know, is it is it an actual dedication to making space and keeping that space beyond making a dollar? Um, so I think there are things are changing. But if I talk to folks who have felt like they haven't been represented in the past, um, they don't always feel like they're there yet, you know? So I think it's always going to be a work in progress. So how do you bring people into this space where they can separate exercise and movement and and focus on that feeling? I guess in a way, like, I almost romanticize what it feels like to move your body, whether you're lying on the floor or putting your arm up in the air and reaching it a little bit further, or, like, how phenomenal bending forward into a forward fold can feel and having an exhale. Like, do we just not feel like, (sighs) in those moments? There is this one instance where someone started just working with me one-to-one, kind of very gentle, like, you know, personal training, if you will, um, just to kind of increase their their mobility and their movement. And then their partner came to class with them. And then their neighbors came to class with them, you know, and then, and then, and then. And they've really become like, they are are the club. Is there a small practice or, or a takeaway that someone could do every day that that might encourage that kind of connection to their body my favorite thing to give to people is like lie on the floor if the floor is not accessible to you your bed your couch i don't care lie down and just breathe slow your breath down you can put your hands on your body or beside you but just see what happens in three to five breaths for a lot of people their low back starts to release and then they're like, oh, my head is closer to the ground. And then their breaths become more like, like these big sighs. And then they're like, oh, I want to move my legs like this. So it's giving them the permission to ha- take the time and do the things. And it, I often find it starts with the floor. When was the last time you had a craving to do a Billy Blanks workout? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love that. I literally, I believe we spoke about him a week ago in one of the classes. Yeah, no, this is, this is a regular theme. There's certain themes that come up in my class, classes often and Billy Blanks is an often one because it's just, it's so memorable and it was so good. Oh, I just loved it. This is Edmonton is a local podcast from CBC. Our senior producer is Leslie Goldstone, and I'm Claire Bonneman. This is Edmonton is recorded on Tree Six territory. 
the traditional gathering place of the Cree, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, and Nakota Sioux. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you download the show. You can email us at thisisyeg at cbc.ca, and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and on SiriusXM. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.